Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast. Today we welcome our 11th guest to the podcast. His name is James Shaw. James is a professional wheelchair tennis player who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was young. Some of James's major achievements have been being a six-time national champion, making his debut for GB at the 2015 World Team Cup, winning gold at the World Team Cup in 2017, and winning the quad doubles at the French Riviera Open in 2019. Outside of sport, James spends time doing public speaking to inspire others and produces some excellent content providing athletes or sports people with tips and tricks on how they can reach their potential. He also has a YouTube channel where he documents his life and career uh, by making some videos. So let's welcome James to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just having some Euros talk there. (laughs) Yeah. Ahead of the England-Denmark game. Come on, the boys. Yeah, it's coming home. Fingers, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. <laughs> how are you? Got us there. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, all good, sir. You been busy today? Uh, I mean, fairly. Just doing, just training. And then the rain kind of stopped all that, but yeah. yeah. That's the reason why I did the 10,000 steps today on our, our challenge on our Instagram, because the English weather, I can't predict it. And I'm not going for a like 10,000 step walk. So I went to do a gym session. <clears throat> Sounds like yeah. you guys aren't even having a summer. Like the weather's so bad over there. So hit and miss. I mean, it's lovely right now where I am, but then I don't know. Yeah, it's just the next hour. It could be. It could be raining. Yeah, nightmare. Is. I love this like little segment because we always talk about the weather. Like when it's just me and Oliver, we always talk about the weather at the start. <laughs> so uh, we bring it back to the roots. <laughs> John's, John's in Spain, so he's a, he's a lucky one. Oh yeah. Imagine. I don't mean to flex, guys. <laughs> Doing this 10,000 steps on the beach can't be bad. Yeah. But um, yeah, sort of like just kicking off with a podcast, like sort of what we do with our guests. We like them to uh, take us through like a chronological view of your life uh, in, in your career. So growing up, what was it like? Uh, what motivated you to engage in sports? Did you have any inspirations from people? Like if you were to just give us like a chronological sort of view of your career and life, what would that be? Um, well, I started, like, I, I wanted to get into sport when I was, when I was young, like really early on, I was, cause I was born with a condition called cerebral palsy, which meant I was in a, a, a wheelchair, which, um, I mean, I, I wanted to be a footballer. That was my thing. Um, and like, I wanted to be a Nottingham Forest player. Because that's where I'm from. I saw you as a Notts Forest fan. I'm a, I'm from Leicester. You're lucky I'm not a Leicester fan because the rivalry oh, is huge. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of Leicester fans. You know, a pain in the butt, at the moment, especially yeah. with winning the FA Cup. I know. Uh, but yeah, and uh, but yeah, I, I, I kind of like obviously knew that that wasn't really going to be. Uh, I, I wasn't going to be able to do that with being in the chair. So when I was around like seven years old, my parents took me to like a, a tryout day for disability sport. So. I got to try out like swimming, basketball, tennis, trampolining. I don't know, all kinds of weird and wacky kind of sports. I don't, I don't know if they're still going kind of thing. But uh, yeah, started playing tennis, uh, doing that kind of once a week. And um, wasn't particularly good, but I kind of liked that you could pl- I could play tennis with people on their feet as well. Because I don't know if you know the only difference between wheelchair tennis and able-bodied tennis is that you're allowed two bouncers. Yeah, that's so, something I was really interested in when I, when I was doing my research for this podcast. I didn't realise the like sort of regulations and rules are sort of similar apart from the two bounces. Like the courts yeah. are the same size. And so it, it made what you do even more inspiring. Like it's crazy. 
Yeah, and I think that's like the sport's grown as well. Like a lot of people don't use the second bounce because if you give if you use the second bounce, you give your opponent more time. Yeah. So I, definitely over the years, it's got it's got stronger and stronger. And um, I mean, I, I just I just wanted to do it just because like I wanted to join in with like PE at school. Mm. Uh, so so going to like a mainstream school, I wanted to do sport with them. And then over the years, it kind of got better and better. Um, got uh, some coaches who have really helped me out since like 18 years old. And then I've been on the GB team since, well, since I was about 20. So like six years ago. And ever since then, I've gone like won national championships, world team cup and traveled consistently for the past six years. Yeah. So yeah. That's really interesting. Nice. For now. Yeah, for now. We're sure that you've got an exciting future ahead of you. But um, in terms of like your biggest inspirations, I think I read somewhere that was one of you, was your dad one of your biggest inspirations potentially because obviously he was quite active um, in sports. Um, would you say he was a really important figure for you? Yeah, yeah. He Because uh, he, he was a runner. So he was doing like, he wasn't like competitive or anything like that. But kind of competing against his own times and seeing him going out every day doing sport that just really inspired me to want to do it and uh yeah so i wanted to find my own sport that i could kind of do yeah mm-hmm. fair enough when you were sort of like getting into tennis i saw um like one of the main inspirations for you in tennis was going to experience your first wimbledon your first paralympic games like after seeing that were you like set on playing wheelchair tennis yeah, and I mean, because I'd, I'd, I'd already been playing. So I think it was like the, the big one that really inspired me to want to do it kind of full time and go pro was play, was watching the London 2012 Paralympics. So yeah. I was watching everyone play in front of these big crowds. And uh, like, I think you, you're watching the crowd and you think, oh, they that looks easy. So I, I could do that. So I was kind of like, yeah, I could do that. And I, I want to play in front of thousands of people and I want to show off and I want to be this amazing athlete and whatever and then I didn't realize how difficult it would be but yeah uh yeah it's been a real challenge and but the, the, that 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 was a, a massive inspiration for me and I really yeah. wanted to do it yeah just sort of out of interest what sort of your training week looked like um in terms of like an, an average week leading up to a competition um I mean it's normally it's, like, it's normally like five days a week yeah. and that would normally include like two or three gym sessions which can vary from like i don't know like speed stuff like boxing and stuff like that or it might be like heavy weights depending on where i'm at in a training block and then the rest of the time will be like it's probably four hours a day on court which can be like obviously just hitting balls doing like set plans like technical stuff or like movement stuff it kind of depends what my aim for that sort of block is but yeah, that's the general kind of thing. Nice. And and so did you go to Aston University? Yeah, I mean, I've <laughs> the university is an interesting one for me. I went to Aston University uh, to study product design. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed that, but the travel to Loughborough was too much because they kept doing roadworks on all of the motorways. So it was taking me like two hours. Yeah. And then uh, I went to Loughborough University. I, I switched, and then I realised I didn't like the course that I switched to because I was doing sports science and I wanted to do a design course. And 
that yeah so I, I was like okay well I've got the option to go full-time into tennis so I'm gonna do that is that something you'll you'll revisit in the future or um are you just solely focusing on your, your tennis career at the moment so I think going into something in design would probably be something that I would want to do I mean that's another reason why I kind of set up like my Instagram page was because I can do all these like design stuff which is is kind of like a hobby and then I could kind of combine it with doing a bit of the stuff that I've learned from my sport as well so it's kind of like you know yeah yeah Yeah, you can definitely see that design kind of side of you on your Instagram we were telling you yesterday like the way you market yourself and your content is excellent like a huge inspiration to us anyways uh. oh, thanks that means a lot yeah like yeah. I, I spend too many hours on it yeah. where doing changing things that people i can't even imagine will notice but it i i want it to look good so yeah. and i enjoy it so yeah it's very clean but the reason i asked you why you studied at aston is because so we put up a story this morning and my sister replied to the story saying that she actually recognized you and apparently she was living uh, in the flat just opposite yours. It was, oh, really? it might have been in like first or second year. And she yeah. was telling me that, um, yeah, she went to pre-drinks to yours and stuff like that. So yeah, it's oh, really, really funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Small world, small world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have, yeah, it would have been in first year. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's nuts. I know, it's yeah. crazy. Very I weird. saw that um, education has like been quite important to you like throughout your career. I saw like during the first um, stages, you were playing in loads of tournaments. Uh, I think it was like, was it development tournaments or something? Something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were doing your A-levels alongside it. Like, was there was there the option to not do your A-levels and just go solely into tennis or was it mandatory, you know? I thought that there was an option to not do my A-levels, but my yeah. parents thought otherwise. And I'm okay. kind of glad that they kind of were like, okay, we want you to do your A-levels. Because yeah. uh, I think at that time, I was because I was really education based like I wasn't the most sporty person I mean I did it like obviously I've done it for a while but I was kind of big into education and then I kind of got excited by the possibility of going into tennis and luckily my parents were kind of like okay just don't get too excited just kind of get, get your education out of the way or at least your A levels and then we'll support you fully and yeah uh, yeah, yeah so so that, that that's, that's a good thing. That's something we're like really trying to promote in this um, this sort of podcast is like promoting education to athletes who are up and coming because you never know when your career is going to be over and you've got something to fall back on. Like you said, you might be going back to study after you've got those A levels behind you now. So if it's if design something you want to pursue in the future, you can go back to university and do that. So it's definitely key yeah. to do that. And your parents were obviously right for her instilling that within you. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think that's the, that's, that's the thing, even though I was at, like, it hasn't worked out for me at uni already. I'm definitely a big like advocate for studying because it's, yeah, it's, it's always something to fall back on. And you might not want to go all the way to university, but if you've got like A-levels and at least something behind you, it's it also means there's not as much pressure on your sport because I think you want the sport to be still the hobby and fun like yeah, enjoyable. It, or that, that's why you started generally. So I think that's the big thing like it having to be a career is not as good as oh it's you know this great career that i've got because i enjoy it yeah and enjoying it's like the main thing so like yeah going back to your sport um talk us through because i saw this was like a huge turning point for you so um winning your first doubles tournament um after you were rejected from the gb program like getting into the top 50 what was that experience like and like how did your career progress after that that was that was a weird one really because it happened to be like I 
got a doubles partner at this uh, tournament in Preston. So not the most glamorous place, but I mean, nothing in Preston, <laughs> but it's just, it's not like it's Australia or anything. Yeah. But uh, then, yeah, he, he happened to already be on the GB team, but he'd just been taken off the GB team. I was trying to get on it and yeah. I hadn't been given the place. So I think we almost were both out to prove a point and going out, playing in the doubles, we almost lost in the first round. We then carried on and didn't particularly play great, but we were kind of forming a partnership, I suppose. And then played two Paralympic medalists in the final. And the the guys were trying to really put me off because I was the youngster. And they were like shouting at the umpire and being frustrating to me. And I was kind of like, nah, you know, I'm just going to really focus and play, try and play as well as I can. And uh, yeah, won, won, won that event. And I, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I thought I was going to make it then. I was like, yeah, I'm amazing. This is great. But uh, I think, you know, I, I had coaches around me to be like, okay, this is amazing, but imagine how far you can come after this. And uh, I think it was, then they got me kind of to go back work really hard and I think it was like six months after that going into like a full international tour I started to really increase my ranking I think I've been like top 20 ever since that so yeah it's it it, I kind of just shot up pretty quickly and yeah it's been good what was it like being the youngster at during that period did you find it difficult to kind of adapt or did you kind of use that opportunity to potentially like learn off um, the older people that were you were competing against or I think like although say growing up I've always been like the sh- shy one so say when I've been in like a big group I, I often kind of uh, when I started out on the team would kind of like shy away from these big personalities and the whatever but mm. also I kind of I think something that really helped me mentally with playing these people was that I didn't respect them it sounds like the wrong thing but I did I wasn't like in awe of them and I wasn't going like oh this guy's just like the best player in the world and I and I think that's really helped me just go I don't care what your ranking is I want you you need you know it's me against you and we'll see like who's the best on the day kind of thing and I can't I really liked that challenge and so coming up against these you know top players was just really excited me yeah, that's yeah, definitely. Go on. I was gonna say that, like we've we've interviewed other athletes and they've kind of had a similar experience where they kind of maybe like shied away from because obviously they were competing against people they like uh, idolized, you know. So it's interesting to see that contrast with your experience. Um, yeah, that's a super important like mindset to have. Like something yeah. that I do when I play football is it's 11 versus 11 at the end of the day. It doesn't matter of their reputation. It's you versus them. And like what what makes them better than you? You know, it's all about on the day. So it's definitely a, such a good mindset to have that because it, yeah. it stops your nerves sort of. Yeah, something that really helped me was like some of the, the top players, I kind of put them in a certain category because I was big into football still. Like it was like how they played and kind of, um, kind of, represented them with a football team so maybe if it was like if they were like a really quick team and they had like you know really attacking then i don't know it might be a man city or it might be like oh they're a hard working team oh it might be a burnley or something and just being like 
okay, well, Burnley can beat Man City. They probably won't beat them every time, but they, they can beat them. And thinking of it like that, going into it, I was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, why can't I win this? And rather than going like, oh, I'm ranked 100 in the world and he's ranked number two, like, oh, this is just impossible. It was kind of thinking about it like that. I was like, because I've seen it so many times in football. I was like, okay, well, you know, why can't I do it now? That's I love, I love that uh, mindset, like sort of doing the comparisons. That's probably something that I'd do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it helps. Mm. You mentioned yesterday that you travelled a lot, actually. Um, yeah, you said you went to Ile de Ré recently. Tell us more about yeah. how, what's it like travelling the world, like being able to travel the world and playing in these different places. Is it challenging or do you feel like you just embrace the, the experience and, yeah? I, th- I think it was challenging to start with because I'm a bit like, I like to be in control of things. So I like, because that's why I like sport because it's like, okay, we especially like, like gym sessions because I like, okay, if I do this for a certain amount of time, I'm in control of everything. But going traveling is like, oh, I have to, uh, you know, I, I, need pe- I need someone to pick me up. I need to, my flights to be on time and stuff like that. Um, so it's been stressful to start with. But I, I mean, going to all the different countries has been pretty amazing. But I definitely think that for a period of time, I was so focused on the competition that I would kind of, you know, compete, go back to the hotel room and not see any of these places. So recently I've kind of set myself a bit of a challenge of at least like wherever I go, I'm taking, you know, I'm stepping a foot outside the hotel, even just to wander around for like an hour. So then I can at least remember these places that I've been because like before then I've been to, Korea, Japan, Australia, all these places, but I could only remember them by remembering the food in the hotel or the the tennis courts. Yeah. So I was like, I don't really want to think about my career like that. So yeah, I just like now I've actually d- done that and started to see a little bit of places. It you know it's pretty cool, really. Yeah, and during these like different places you travel to, have you kind of developed like a sort of routine uh, to like kind of prepare you? before the competition or yeah um i don't know it's not really not necessarily like a a routine i mean like my say like my my training will change a little bit beforehand and then when i when i go it's obviously just the normal travel stuff i don't know like remembering all your stuff and (laughs) passport (laughs) yeah i have i have a list for everything now because i I went through a stage where i'd always forget something yeah and then um yeah I i just i mean I think always something seems to go wrong when traveling, but it's, uh, yeah. What's the best so, place you've been to? I think the most enjoyable was when I went to Australia last January, just because also like my cousin lives out in uh, Melbourne. So we actually oh, no got, to, he actually took me out and we went around and saw loads of places. I, th- I think that and Israel, which was a weird one, oh. but because um, we got to see all of these like, really old sites and got to know a bit more about like the locals and stuff like that and um yeah i, th- I thought that was just a bit of a, a different one not somewhere that many people get to see so oh, yeah. i bet you're so lucky to like be able to go and travel the world because it's something that i want to do but it's just so difficult to like actually find the time to do it especially during these times i mean yeah. no one can catch a flight <laughs> anywhere <laughs> right, right, right now is a pain is a pain yeah, yeah. but uh yeah Lucky John. Sure. I mean, John just drove to Spain. Yeah, Being in Europe is so much easier. Yeah. 
It's true. Being in the UK makes it ten times worse. Like you guys have to cross the channel, blah blah blah. And with COVID, obviously, right now there's additional restrictions. So, but talking of COVID, was that was did that really affect you in terms of like traveling to competitions? I guess like your career was kind of put on hold. Was it? Yeah. Uh, ever yeah. Ever since ever since COVID, things have been a bit really on hold just because. Like I haven't been able to, all the rankings have been frozen. So I've been trying to get my ranking up, but it means that like no one's dropping down, mm. nothing's changing. Uh, so I've done, I've done some tournaments. Like I went to a Prague last year and I won that. And then I've been to France a couple of times and then, but yeah, not, not really fully traveling. It's just, it's just been so difficult. Everything has been getting canceled and yeah. So just the odd one here and there, but mm. Talking about your ranking, what was the, the experience like becoming world champion? Was that some what like took us through before the game, and then um, like what was your feelings after? It was kind of a strange one because I because um, like the world the world team cup, uh, I mean it, they they normally pick like three players from each country, and like I was going into it expecting to be like the number two player because the way it works is like every day, number one of each country will play each other, the number two will play each other. And then maybe the number three will play if like the doubles doesn't matter because there's then a doubles. And then, so the number three might play then. Um, but I thought I was going to be the number two. And then I went down to breakfast and heard about what the team was going to be and I wasn't picked. So I kind of had to be like pushed down all of like the negative emotions that I was feeling. And like, instead of wanting to have an, an argument with him, I was kind of like, okay, well, I need to do what's best for the team here and not show that I'm disappointed. And um, that was kind of the, 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 the feelings for most of the days. And we, we have, I, I played the odd match, you know, I trained well. I was professional, which was I was very pleased about. And then it got to the final and I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to play. That's not going to happen. And they actually picked me for the final. Um so I was like super excited. Um, we played it and we we won, and then that that was just ridiculous. Like, um, yeah, it was like the actual place where we played had like a big center court stadium, and we had like pictures in front of everyone there uh, with the trophy. And um, it was only my second world championship. So, uh, and the the other one we finished second to last. So. <laughs> to go from there to wow. then this was just ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was the fact that you like kept professional and calm and like sort of waited for your opportunity shows like unbelievable psychological strength because a lot of people wouldn't get picked and then they'd be like, oh well, like especially like obviously I make correlations to football all the time because that's my sport. But like when you're left on the bench, you think, oh wow, like but those players who are waiting for their chance, that's when a great team becomes a great team, you know. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're United fans. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a great period for us. I suppose, like, the signings that we're making there, it's exciting times. Yeah, if you get if you get Varane as well and Sancho, then you, yeah. And that Camavinga. Oh, oh yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had a good season as well. Be, yeah, I think he'll be all right next season. I know, for sure. Hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, in terms of like 
Okay, Oli, should I just leave you this question? Because I know you love this question, so I'll just yeah. leave it to you. <laughs> this is sort of like um, to do with my projects uh, during my master's. Um, I'm sort of asking every guest now, um, what are the most important psychological attributes or qualities you feel make a successful wheelchair tennis player? Because I'm looking, I'm interviewing coaches for what are the most important psychological qualities in professional football? So I'm just interested to see what you think have made you become so successful in tennis psychologically. Uh, I think the big one for me is just like emotional control. I mean, it kind of, I guess it's a bit, I don't know if that's a bit vague, but it's almost like, say, especially within tennis, there's so much downtime, like you, um, you know, breaks in between points. Like you could have a point that's like 10 seconds long and then you've got 20 seconds until the next one that it's, it's, thoughts of like say if you're playing badly and you're like oh i'm rubbish and stuff like that and those thoughts come up or oh i'm winning this is exciting or i'm just and it can be boring like i um so i think being able to manage those emotions is that's that's been the biggest thing that i've been working on and has kind of made me successful uh and win competitions are there any sort of strategies you've helped uh, to control your emotions uh, that you've put in place like during competition or before competition I think well like during competition I it's always having something to kind of bring my focus back to in the within the present so it's like almost being okay with my mind wandering but then be having something to bring my thoughts back to the, the match so with me normally it's look look at the ball and that's just like proactively look at the ball because a it helps if you're looking at the ball but also like just it's it's something to you know it's like a trigger to bring you back to task relevant things after your mind's wondered yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I saw in our previous interviews um that throughout your life you face so much adversity uh, it's people telling you that you can't do things. And so I thought uh, one, one would be like mental toughness because I feel like you've got so much of that and something that you've spoke about, like overcoming it, proving everyone wrong. That's something that's been so prevalent during your career. Do you think that's helped you like become successful? Yeah, I, I mean, of, of course. I think like the people along the way have always told me that I couldn't do things and advised me to do certain things like, because like I, I used to use an electric wheelchair to get around and to go from that to them being like strong enough to push my own chair and not only off court but also like on court to a professional sport level mm. I, I think it's obviously I've got quite yeah I don't know it's when someone tells me I can't do something it's it's it, I definitely want to prove them wrong yeah and that, that's 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 got me obviously quite far <laughs> with the sport where do you think that got instilled within you? Is it something that's like a uh, bit developed over time from yourself or has someone helped you like instill this? Maybe a sports psychologist or um, your parents growing up? I think my parents never wanted me to not be able to do something. So it was almost like, oh, well, if you can't do something, we'll find a way. And, and definitely a coach when I was around 18 years old, he basically told me that I was, making excuses for not being good at sport so I was kind of like oh I'm never going to get strong enough or oh you know my disability is affecting me so much that I can't do this and he was like well if you want to work with me then you're going to have to stop doing that and train like anybody else and then if we want if we need to make any adaptions then we will 
And I think de definitely that kind of thought of we'll just we'll find a way has been a massive like it's helped me a lot and it's also kind of it's a good thing to tell someone when they're like why why are you doing this training or why oh, you can't do it it's like well we're discovering new things and we're trying to find a way of you know to overcome challenges mm. it seems like you have a really really good awareness of sports psychology um so i'm really curious to to know where does this come from was it was it a sports psychologist that potentially uh, inspired you or like that taught you all these things or was it purely you that kind of went, went out of your way to kind of research or read more about stuff or? Oh, it's just all Carl Steptoe from Loughborough Uni. <laughs> That's what it is. It's just, a, it's all him. Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I've always been, I've been fascinated with psychology. I'm just like, I'm always wondering why people are doing certain things like that. It, it, it just really interests me. So uh, I, I've read a lot of autobiographies. I like to, I, I think quite a lot, you know, when someone acts a certain way, I'll always just go like, Oh, why have they done that? Or uh, rather than just spring into a, a thought like, Oh, they're just a horrible person or something like that. But um, yeah, definitely. Cause I've been working with a, a sports site for like eight years now. So have, being able to have these, those discussions with him and uh, you know, thinking about it myself, has obviously it's, you know, it's given me quite a, a, a big knowledge of psychology yeah or sports psychology something that's been so prevalent in our previous episodes is um like these elite athletes they look for what other athletes are doing so like in their routines and things like that and then they sort of like put it into their own um routine and things if you ever like try to do stuff like that and, and look at what the top athletes are doing and then try and do stuff yourself that's sort of what intrigued me in psychology you know like yeah. um seeing what these athletes are doing, especially in like basketball and, and things like that and the routines they do before their free throw. Um, and wondering like why they're doing them certain things um, is super interesting. I find with psychology. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I definitely did the one where it's just, you know, you're going onto the field or whatever, and you've got your big headphones on and you're trying to stay like look focused and whatever. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I was, yeah, I, 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 I like, I read a lot of sports autobiographies when I was growing up. So it's like Andre Agassi from tennis, like I, don't know, I just loads of different stuff. And it, it was just the way, like, yeah, how they prepared for, for matches and their backgrounds and just trying to implement little bits from all of them or try them just because I don't think I've ever really had like a, I don't know like someone that I idolize within any sport, but I like to just like pick out little bits and just see which works for me. Cause I don't think there's a complete athlete in any sport. It's just almost mm. like, Oh, well that might work for me or that might work for me and stuff like that. So, yeah. So you mentioned Carl Stepter. So obviously we know Carl really well. Um, so how did that come about? How did you start working with them? Uh, I mean, he used to be the, the GB SNC, um psychologist sorry for the wheelchair tennis team for a couple of years and I th that was when I was kind of starting out and then he stopped being the psychologist there and I I, I had I, I remember speaking to a psychologist before him and 
it was like I, I basically just googled sports psychologist and she was like the, one of the first people to come up and I, I spent like quite a bit of money just to do like a, a zoom call with her and I was kind of like okay there's some good things here but I don't feel like a a connection with, I think you need to kind of have a like a relationship with the like psychologist so you can open up fully and you know discuss whatever's going on because and and he yeah I I always like I knew him well and I liked with him that it was kind of like he's a, a psychologist that works with sports people he's not a sports psychologist it's kind of like so if I have any sort of problem you know, off court or on court, it's all connected and that he was kind of willing to discuss everything, which has, it's helped me massively, you know, not just on court, but also just in my everyday life. So, yeah. As a sports psychologist, like looking up to Carl is like a huge thing for us. Like he's, he's come on and done like, um, what's it called? Like practice sort of meetings with, with people sort of just to show us what he'd do and man the guy is he's just unbelievable at his job like he's a top top sports psychologist yeah I think it's incredible just the fact that like someone can listen that intently remember stuff and be and then also be able to all that like have the know-how um yeah. and I also quite like that he was like a sports person before and uh like yeah. he was a he was a gold golfer and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. I seen him. Um, he actually done a lecture in a car park <laughs> because he was at, he was at a golf tournament uh, ready to like work with one of the players, um, and he they made the cut to the weekend. So he was uh, there on the Saturday, and uh, yeah, man, the guys are unreal. What sort of what sort of made you uh, seek out? sports psychologist you mentioned that you were googling sports psychologist was it like a specific trigger that, that sort of made you seek it out um i mean to be honest it was kind of like just because of off-court stuff like i was kind of just like not particularly happy yeah. i was kind of like not being able to um so i'd kind of like seeked out psychologist without out of sport but i didn't really have the best experience with them and I don't know, got, tapping into like a sports psychologist was kind of like a middle ground of being able to go, well, oh, this is just for my sport. And uh, I'm an athlete. So I, you know, it's because I know there's a lot of stigma with speaking to a psychologist or the can be. Um, so it being, it being a sports psychologist kind of was a way for me to kind of, I don't know, get around that in my own head. Yeah. And so... But I also knew how important having like a strong mindset within sport was. Yeah. And I don't know, like commentators always mentioned it and stuff like that. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was, re yeah, it'd be really helpful to seek one out. Something what I found like when you were just speaking there was that after working with one psychologist, you decided that this wasn't the end of your psychology, like working with them. You decided to go and pursue other ones. And I think that's super important for any listeners or athletes like wanting to work with psychologists is that, every psychologist is different and one style may work for someone, but it won't work for you. And then you need to find uh, who works for you, you know? Yeah. Just because it doesn't work one, it doesn't mean that like psychology doesn't work for you. I think yeah. it can work for anyone. It's just finding the right people or the right person or whatever. So 100%. yeah. Yeah. You mentioned like a few attributes that Carl had. So one was remembering stuff that you previously talked about in, in previous meetings and the fact that he had this type of involvement in sport also. Is there anything else that you kind of feel that you look for in a psycho sports psychologist or? Um, 
I don't know really. I think maybe it's just like I think if they're honest with me as well, because I think some people. I mean, it may have been wrong because I probably wouldn't. I, I I didn't know other psychologists as well as I know Carl. But some some people, it feels like it's like okay, they they just want to kind of spout out knowledge to you. Yeah. But I think like for Carl, he wants to get to know like me and help me rather than being like okay this is the textbook way of doing it um obviously there's exercises that i think can be quite textbook but i think the rest of the thing is a bit more i don't know fluid and getting to know the person and i think i i quite like that attribute of a sports psychologist and something that we're the whole reason why we're doing this sort of podcast is for athletes to sort of see that we are approachable guys and if you want to come and chat to us like it's not going to be an uncomfortable situation where we're just going to try and flex on you with all the knowledge that we've got <laughs> yeah we've uh, we're approachable and um it'd be a good chat and a, a good working relationship so i hope we come across like that <laughs> yeah yeah you do so, so are, is, are your sessions like more of a conversation then or is it more you speaking and him listening or well it's it's, it's often like he'll always say like at the start of the session it's like well what what are the headlines of the week or the couple of weeks and it's just like so what are like the big things that have happened to me and i'll you know say what's happened or what i've got planned and it'll just kind of like start a conversation i mean i might have something specific to say like oh i don't know i keep starting out matches poorly can you kind of can we discuss this and then we'll find a way of like maybe but a lot it's I really thought it would like being with a sports psychologist. I mean, maybe it is with some, but it would be like, okay, I don't know, a bit more set, like, okay, we need to do this, this and this. But with him, it's quite, I don't know, like I said, like fluid and kind of just a conversation. And that helps me kind of, I don't know, let stuff go, I guess, as well. So I like it. Yeah, it's definitely something that I see from him also, because obviously we, we have to do like a research project this year. So we have to interview people. And we have to develop like guides. And when I had a meeting with him and he was like, don't worry about following it step by step. Like some questions might be answered. Um, you know, it's, it's like, he's more of like a freestyle guy. And I feel like that, that works well for with him. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've got the same. I've yeah. got the same from him. So yeah. So glad we sort of delved into like, what it's like working with a sports psychologist. We've never really had that before, uh, yeah. where an athlete's actually spoke deeply with, about that. So thanks for sharing that because other athletes will probably listen to it and think, I'll seek our sports psychology support now. So thanks for that. But moving on to like outside of sport, um, your public speaking, what's sort of your goal with your public speaking? I mean, in the past, it's always been it was going into schools and just basically it was almost a thing. Well, initially it was me just kind of saying all the things I'd achieved and I realized I wasn't really, I mean, that's great, but it's, it's not really helping anyone. So it's only the, the, since COVID I've kind of had a bit more time and I was like, Oh, well, you know, what do I want to kind of say with this? And I think it's, yeah, it's a bit, a bit of motivational stuff and a bit of just like showing that you can learn all these kind of key skills that you want so say if you're not very confident you can learn that or if you I don't know anything I think confidence is a big one because that was the big thing for me that I was terrified of speaking to anyone except my close mates and family and now I can 
do a like public speaking in front of I, I wouldn't care the size of the, the yeah. audience and the only reason I've been able to do that was because I kind of pushed myself and not listened to the fears and that you know and so I, I just you know I want to kind of share that message with other people because I don't think enough people know it yeah it feels so good when you develop that skill like to be comfortable in speaking in front of others, you know, that that's another reason why we started the podcast was just to be comfortable speaking in front of people, holding conversations that we may not feel initially comfortable with, but we've developed that skill now. And uh, yeah, it just feels so good. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, th- I think you realize that everyone feels like that as well. Cause like yeah. say speaking to you guys now, like I would never think that you wouldn't be confident speaking in front of people, but I bet when you first did this podcast, you'd be like, you'd have thoughts coming up like, oh no, what happens if I mess up or I don't do yeah, the right yeah. thing or whatever. So I think everyone's going through the same thing, aren't they? Yeah, we had a big learning curve after our first guest. Um, we sort of treated it like a sort of interview rather than a chat. And that was a big learning curve for us um, in sort of developing our skills within a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any tips for public speaking? Because I feel like that's a skill that I need to develop, like, that's like a massive weakness of mine. Like, and I'm sure maybe people listening, it might be one of their weaknesses. Do you have any potential tips for, for, yeah? Well, I think first of all, it's like, do it, do it more. Mm. Um, uh, Cause I've heard a lot of people like, oh yeah, like don't use notes and don't, you know, be confident and whatever. But like the only way you can do that is if you do it a bit more. Yeah. Um, and also it's like, trying to show off your personality a bit like it's only recently that i felt comfortable enough to actually be like i can have a laugh and a joke i can go off from my the you know off from my notes i can you know speak to the audience a bit more and i think they appreciate it because i think if people can connect with you a bit more and see your, you know your personality then they're actually going to listen to what you're talking about so yeah that's, that's probably a key one for me but obviously yeah. it's, it's it's tricky to start with you just you, you need to just do it and get a bit more confident that's so true. Um, I, I feel like a lot of correlation. I listen to podcasts sort of uh, entertainment. So I listen to a lot of comedians and stuff. And their main thing is just going out and, and just performing it in local clubs and stuff, you know. Uh, so they develop that skill and then they can do it on the big stage. Um, and showing your personality as well. That's a huge one. Not being so like, these are the points I'm covering and these are, the, I'd say these, this sentence the exact same way. Like I'd learned a presentation before to the specific script and now it's like, I just need a couple of bullet points and I'll go over them topics as I go, you know? Yeah, I think there was someone that I spoke to about public speaking because they were like doing loads of them and they're like professional public speaker. And they were just like, no one really cares about what you're saying. They just want to be entertained or, you know, learn the key points. So it's almost like specific. It's like people get bogged down with being too, like really focused on specific points within like, oh, what? age was i or what did it whatever and they're like mm. well they don't care about that they don't they don't know so yeah. you just they just want to have fun and learn a little bit so yeah so i think i read something about you and your public speaking that you create like anecdotes or analogies to sort of help people understand what you're trying to get across is it is that something that you do yeah i try i mean i try to like if, yeah. if I, I think if i'm if i've ever got a point that i'm trying to say i always want to at least have an anecdote behind it because I don't want to just be going, oh, this is what you should be doing and then have no proof behind it. I think yeah. if I've got a story, then they can at least connect with it. And then if it's not relevant to them, then that's fine. But yeah. 
I think trying to make it relatable back to them as well is like it sort of makes them relate and they'll take it away then and uh, it becomes valuable. So yeah, super important. Yeah. yeah. I think one thing I struggle with is maybe overthinking and maybe think like, of being scared of what other people think when, like, I don't know, doing a presentation or doing public speaking. That's one of my issues. But yeah, I guess it's just practice. <laughs> see some I, I, psychology yeah. support, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you my yeah. <laughs> uh, if you need a chat john i'm here we'll, we'll go through <laughs> some strategies <laughs> but um yeah just moving on to like your content creation so you said you're big on your instagram and your, and your youtube i saw you've got um you you're uploading on youtube regularly like before um you've got quite a few subscribers so what sort of the substance behind that so you say about your design and stuff um what's your goal behind those pages I mean, I always wanted to do something additionally to tennis because uh, although tennis tires me out, I do have quite a lot of spare time on my hands. So I always wanted to do something else that I was passionate about, so especially like when I'm away. And I kind of, I've always wanted to share, like, because like I said, with the public speaking, I want more people to know about what I've gone through because I think it could be really helpful. So sure. initially it was kind of, I was doing vlogs on my personal YouTube channel uh, and then I was kind of starting to re re I realized that I really enjoyed like speaking about like the mental side of my sport, but the kind of stuff that I'd already created within, you know, it's like my tennis stuff. I was kind of like, are people that are following me for my tennis results and stuff really that bothered about it? Like I, I wasn't really able to get a good connection with it. So I decided, well, I was like, I'll still, I'll, I'll have a separate one. And then with like top athlete mindset, with my Instagram, um, created that. And I was just like, I just want to try out different stuff and see what kind of works and without anyone knowing, cause I didn't, you know, I didn't want people to be kind of judging it straight away. Cause I just knew it was probably going to be a bit rubbish to start with. And I wanted to kind of, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. And then yeah, like now that's really, that's just grown like loads, which I didn't really expect. And, um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy that. And I'm kind of focusing more on that than doing the, other stuff but mainly that's because i'm not traveling and i'm not doing i can't really vlog from my flat every week saying just every day is the same. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so no one wants to see that so <laughs> what i find really powerful about your page is that a lot of the stuff you talk about is something that you've experienced yourself and i feel like that's that makes that's like the perfect formula for me it makes it so much more attractive knowing that you've actually gone through it you know, it's like almost you're making the mistakes for us in a sense. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that because like I, I kind of felt like we're talking about like psychology kind of stuff because I'm like, well, I'm not a psychologist. So I was kind of a bit worried. Like people would be like, well, that's not right because you're not a psychologist and stuff like that. And um, um, so that was a big fear of mine. But then I was like, well, I've I've done all this and if I could take it from my own personal thing, then I think that's how I could help people more than, I don't know, like if, if it's a certain psychologists, it might be that you might like, you might not find a connection, but maybe you could find a connection with someone that's going through the exactly same thing as you might be. So I don't, I don't know. It just, yeah. Just hope it helps, you know? Yeah. It makes it more genuine, you know, like the content you're kind of releasing, like honest, um, and the fact that you're so open also of like sharing your weaknesses and you know your mistakes that's that's what makes it 
personally to me that's what makes it attractive um like i want to follow you in your journey and and and, and you're giving back by giving tips so yeah it's, it's a really powerful formula you have there it's good yeah thanks <laughs> You are. Uh, you also coach tennis, don't you? You doing your level one athletics coach, and, and you regularly coach in school visits. Is that something that you do in the future, sort of coaching tennis uh, on a full time basis? Um, I don't know. Like it. Like I always said, like no, I didn't. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, yeah. But then I've because with the public speaking, often like I work for the, the youth sport trust, and we yeah. go into schools, and basically it's like do my speech. Uh, play some multi-sports with them and then basically build up over a few visits to make it so then the, the the children can um deliver their own activities to each other and i'd really enjoy that because it's great to see how they've improved with confidence and stuff like that i think i i, I don't know i i i enjoy the the, the mental side of it and the like you know discuss discussing that sort of thing but maybe like specific technical stuff and that sort of coaching at the moment, I'm not too bothered about, but that, I'm, I'm I mean, sort of that, might, that might change. I, yeah. I used to coach um, four to seven year olds in, in football. And I found that like really rewarding in terms of what I got. I used to just volunteer and do it. And I find it really rewarding and like all the other kids, like developing confidence and things like that. Obviously having a big psychology background, that was so rewarding for me, even like not the best technically like gifted player, but they're enjoying the sport. And I found that like, oh, it, was just, it just make your Saturday, you know? Like, I love that part of uh, coaching. Yeah. So true. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But um, in terms of like all the content, that's all the content that we wanted to sort of cover. We touched on all the, all the points and stuff. Um, but what we did was we asked on our Instagram um, if any of our audience had any questions for you. And we actually, we, we got a few questions. So we'll ask them oh. now. Um, me and John will go one for one in, in doing it. So the first one is, uh, how do you best prepare for competition? Um, yeah, just prior to, prior to competition. I think it's developed, it's changed over the years before it was like a big, uh, like in the evening before a match, I would look at the player profile that I'd created of, of each player that I played before, like their weaknesses and stuff. And I would, you know, figure out ways that I would you know try and beat them, beat them and then have my own kind of like process goals of say like i want to hit through the ball a bit more or i want to you know use this certain shot or whatever um but now after being so specific with it i've kind of gone a bit like more relaxed with it because i've kind of got to the stage where it's all embedded so i can just be a bit more um reactive and use my experience to yeah your experience uh, to do it so so now it's literally i'll look at the player profile that i've created and write two two or three bullet points in my phone and then just that's it and then just my physical warm-up and then i might look at it before the match and i might visualize a little bit of how i'm gonna play and then that's you know get going really interesting that okay so the second question was what are your hobbies outside of tennis um i mean i'm it, it's I really like sports, so I go like cycling and stuff, like hand cycling and stuff. But I guess the main one, other than like football, would be music. Like I love going to gigs. I used to play drums in uh, in a band, uh, doing doing all kinds of stuff with that. And okay. that's probably the big thing I miss with COVID. That's just like I just miss gigs. It's so much fun. 
He'll soon be back. I just can't wait to get in a, uh, back in a club, man. I've missed that so much. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next one is, um, where was your favourite place or court you've competed at? So you've mentioned a few, um, obviously, Israel and that, but if you were to tie down to an actual court, not just a place. Where have I? Play- I mean, the, probably the, the best experience for me was actually playing uh, at Nottingham in the British Open because it's like the biggest tournament underneath the Grand Slam. Yeah. And I had I was on centre court there and I had like old school teachers that happened to just be there watching. I had like a full full crowd and like and that's not normally something that I experience with because it's not, you know, when I'm in Israel doing a, a small competition or something, think there's not big crowds there so yeah I, I mean everyone cheering for me that that was cool that was yeah I, I, but probably like just the most incredible stadium i've been in was the maracan r at the rio games because i actually went out there to uh a, like an inspiration program thing so yeah. they, they like took people that were almost qualified to go out there and just to be in that for the opening ceremony was just ridiculous <laughs> okay so the last question was who was your hardest opponent? Uh, Especially after all that player profiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me just have a look. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the hardest the hardest opponent was this is this guy a guy from America called David Wagner who he's like he was he was world number one and he happened to be someone that I almost I almost beat him in like 2018 or something got a set off him and felt really confident but. He's he's someone that literally he's he just he seems so confident and just assured of himself and even when things aren't going well. Like I remember watching him play one play a match against a British player and the British player won the first set and this guy came off, you know, uh world number one and he just went, Let's see if he can do it again. And I was like, All right, G- Jesus, like let's you know, he, he wasn't stressed. And he just went on and yeah, and he, he won the next two sets, six love. And I'm like, right, this this guy's impressive. And literally after after I almost beat him, I lost six love six one to him. And I'm like, okay then, this guy's something a bit different. And yeah. so I'd, I'd say him, he's he's impressive. Okay, and then the last one was, what's the most impressive thing you've seen either when watching or playing tennis? Is there a moment? My forehand, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I don't. I, I don't know. I think seeing some of the people compete on the court with dis- different disabilities is really cool. Like I like seeing because it's, it's like I mean, some people that say if you've got like a a, a leg amputation, then the, their the, their style of play is probably very similar to like an able-bodied player, but they're just sitting down. But like there's certain people that I've seen like who don't have like triceps or they don't have use of their pecs or they have to tape the racket to the hand and stuff like that. So I just think seeing how people have like overcome stuff, I don't think there's a necessarily a specific one, but I'm just like, you know, it's pretty cool that right? and I, I like watching it, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's class. But yeah, in terms of all the questions, that's every, every question that we've had for you. Um, we thank, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it, sort of getting to know. This is the best thing about the podcast, like getting people on from different sports and just discussing it. Like I've learned so much. I, originally, I had no real 
real sort of knowledge around wheelchair tennis, but you've sort of come on and, and solidified that for me. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's great. I love talking about it. Yeah. Um, we normally give the guest that comes on like um, a minute or two to just plug anything that they've got. Obviously, all the links to your socials, YouTube channel, um, obviously Top Athlete Mindset and things like that will be in the description. But if there's any projects or stuff you're working on or any tournaments that are coming up. Yeah, I think the main one is, is Top Athlete Mindset on Instagram. I am creating the website for that soon where I'm going to just kind of do some of the like resources that I use. I'm going to put all that on there with a blog and maybe a vlog and stuff like that with that. So that's all coming soon. But if like they check out the Instagram page, the top athlete mindset, then it's all going to go on there. Yeah. And yeah, I hope, hopefully I can help some more people, you know? No, for sure. Definitely. Everyone check that out. Cause it's yeah, a, it's a it class out. page. Yeah. Literally. Cheers. But yeah, um, if you could please share this with your friends or someone you'd feel will benefit from it. Uh, most importantly, like subscribe and uh, comment down below any guests you'd like us to get on in the future and we'll try our best to get them on. But other than that, Thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye guys.